Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio. Hey folks, welcome to yet another edition of the Healthcare Executive Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about executive leadership skills for physicians in transition and talk a lot about that. And we have the perfect guest, Dr. Raul Zambrano, who recently became a senior medical director with Oak Street Health after serving as the chief medical officer for Lutheran Hospital in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He also serves as a senior consultant for the national faculty for the Greeley Company. Now, previously, Dr. Zambrano served with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs in multiple physician executive roles. He speaks Spanish fluently and has practiced in underserved areas for most of his career. Dr. Zambrano served in the United States Army Reserve from 2001 to 2012 with four deployments. He received his bachelor's degree from Columbia University, a master's of science degree in chemistry from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and his medical degree from the College of Physicians and Surgeons, Columbia University. He is board certified in family medicine and lean green belt certified. Dr. Zambrano is board certified in healthcare management as an ACHE fellow and was a 2015 Dolan Executive Diversity Program Scholar. With all that, let's welcome in Dr. Raul Zambrano. Doctor, thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Chris. Glad to be here and glad to have this time to talk to you about transitioning. Yes. And like I, like I said, you're the perfect person to talk to, right? About that. No question, huh? I, I think I could definitely help contribute. <laughs> okay. So let, let's just dive in. Let, let's do it. So transitioning, first of all, um, are, are you still uh, uh, practicing as a clinical physician right now, or have you transitioned fully over to executive leadership? So I actually still do practice um, as a family physician. Oh, okay. How much time? Think- yeah. How much time do you do that during the week? Um, so it's usually two clinic days. Got it. And then the rest is traditionally administrative time. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I think for people listening, that's a huge decision to make in your career path. Yeah. But most importantly, it's a really personal one. I've seen it done both ways. Um, traditionally, if you're working at a very high system level, like when I used to be over seven hospitals in three states, getting the practice in is very difficult and maybe not as um useful because you're maybe disruptive to the practice of the regular providers. But when you do practice, it keeps you very hands-on. It gains you instant respect of the physicians who you're leading. Mm -hmm. And it keeps you with your nose to the ground so that you can give the feedback to the C-suite in very precise, up-to-date terms. Got it. Got it. No, it's, it's so if you can do it, do it is what you're saying, right? If you can pull it off like you're pulling it off. Correct. And I would say the real trick to that is doing something most physicians are really bad at at the beginning, which is negotiating it at the beginning of the start of a job and being really clear that your clinical time is your clinical time Mm. and it's not interrupted for anything. And then your administrative time is your administrative time and they don't mix. So let's, okay, great. So why don't you, can you share something uh, like like maybe a a story or an example where you had to kind of... I don't know, you had to strive to, to, to create that balance uh, as a clinician and a, as, a, as a physician leader in, in that area where, where you kind of had to, I don't know, draw a line or do something. It, do you have an example or a story? Sure. When I first got my first chief of medicine position, 
that was a combined clinical and then chief of a service. It wasn't well delineated. As many physician leaders will know, there's a job description, which basically should say duties as otherwise specified, because the expectation is that you're a full-time clinician and a full-time administrator. So it comes out to a two-point FTE. During that process, as I began working the chief of medicine, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> as I started working the chief of medicine position, I began to realize I had time for nothing. Hmm. I couldn't keep up with stuff. I was beginning to feel like I was failing both with the clinical side and the administrative side. So I was very fortunate to have a mentor who came to me and said, hey, what's going on? How's it going? I said, it's terrible. <laughs> I can't get everything done. This is really impossible. Not enough said, hour, well, not enough hours in the day, literally, it, right? Exactly. Not to mention, you know, you, you're beginning to get burned out because you're beginning to cut into your personal life to try to keep up with everything. And what this really fantastic mentor said to me was, you know what, have you ever taken a time management course? And I said, I don't have time to take a time management course. <laughs> That's a comedy bit right there. Yes, yeah. yes. And he says back to me, he said, no, actually, you don't have time not to take mm. a time management course. Long story short, I went to the time management course, and for the first time in my career as a physician leader, someone sat me down and said, the single most important thing you do with your time is control where you put, where you invest the time. I see. They taught me. They mm -hmm. taught me how to schedule things, and then to have sincere discussions about now delegating. Because another big transitional moment for many physician executive and physician leaders is switching from coach, give me the ball, because you traditionally get promoted because you accomplished lots of stuff. To let me manage a team, let me lead. Let me switch from being a manager to a leader who sets a vision and goal. And part of the time management was being able to say to my boss out front, okay, look, we're going to do this two half days a week. During those two half days, unless it's an emergency, the joint is showing up, no one's going to interrupt. The hospital has to be able to run without phone calls or me being pulled out. Um, you talk to your executive assistant, you make sure that time's sacred. What happens is there's some interruptions at first, and your instinct is to want to say, coach, give me the ball and fix it. Um, and then what you learn is that as people begin to respect that boundary, it's okay. You didn't personally fail because you didn't actually manage to get to everything. And that's how you begin to really slot it in and learn, I would say, the really important time management skills that serve you well as you start getting onto much bigger assignments or running whole hospitals or multiple hospitals across the system. I think that's a great piece of advice. Anybody listening that, that that's in your position or about to be in your position in a transition transitional role, I, I, I think that time management thing it, it, is just so valuable, right? Um, everybody should have that, right? You, you, you got to have that right there uh, in the front of your mind um, going into something like this. Because like you said, doctor, you got two full-time jobs. You got to make it work, right? Absolutely. And, and then you really have to also learn how to have that conversation with your boss up front. Yes. Yep. Um, because believe it or not, what I found out was I had never expected that my boss would be okay with me setting that sort of limit. Because as a physician, we've been on call. We're used to taking the calls at night. If a patient needs us, we drop what we're doing and we go. Um, so the other piece of that is learning how to have those crucial conversations up front and negotiate with your boss and feel it's okay and not feel guilty that you're saying, you know what, 
I'm separating out my time specifically for this and this. Got it. Got it. Great stuff. Um, are there any, in, in from your perspective, are there any industry sort of trends right now that um, an emerging physician leader has to know about? Anything specific? Um, I'd probably say there's three big things that I keep an eye on right now um, with my full attention. One is clearly the quality versus cost. Our biggest contribution as physician executives and leaders is to be the balance point between managing high quality and keeping the cost reasonable. Because if not, as they say, no money, no mission. So it's, okay, how do I keep the quality high? How do I balance that with making sure that it's financially responsible? And then how do I engage the physicians to come on board with that? Mm. Second part would be that engagement and empowerment. Right now, for better or for worse, my experience over the last five to 10 years has been that there is a lot of physician disengagement. They feel like they don't have a voice that they can't contribute. Um, when the reality is, when they engage, some of the best results are seen. Like I think about a year ago, I even saw an article in Becker's that said that ACOs that are led by physicians do better than those just led by hospitals. Who would have thought that if people doing the work were involved, um, you might get better results. So it's making sure you're engaging the providers with their input and then giving them a voice and doing that person to person, not via email, not via text. Mm. And I think the final piece is we're at the beginning or the watershed moment in history where really physician leadership is beginning to develop and grow across all parts of healthcare and staying focused on, you know, how do we develop physician leaders? How do we get them educated? Docs come out of residency very well-trained to handle patients and clinics. They do not come out well-trained to handle HR, compliance, regulatory issues, accreditation issues, or even how to manage multidisciplinary teams. So I think a lot of focus also has to be on recognizing that as the jobs grow, and I always joke that on any given week, there's more jobs than there are more physician leader jobs than there are actual qualified candidates. And how do we continue to develop the leaders that are required? Got it. Got it. So for you, though, um, I would imagine th that balancing act of, 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 you know, coming out, coming out of college, coming out of your background um, as a physician, you were ready for that. For the, the executive leadership roles, was your time in the Army, did that serve as maybe some great experience for you? Because it was over a decade, right? You served, I would imagine that was such a major time in your life. Did you carry over from, from your time in, in the U.S. Army uh, some, some abilities, some techniques, some skills, some training, if you will, to help you have that edge when it, come, when it came to leadership? Uh, absolutely. Um, I actually cannot thank the military and the VA for the leadership training. The Both the VA and the DOD have outstanding programs to develop leadership in terms of, you know, what is what are you as a leader? What's your authentic self? How do you lead others? They're tremendously good at organizational infrastructure and learning how to use process. So I would say that the military, between the military and the VA, by the time I transitioned back to the private space, I was already an expert on everything quality 
because with the VA, there are several hundred metrics they've been tracking for several decades and doing so with lean systems and process improvement and continuous process improvement. Um, on the leadership side, they were taking us out two, three weeks at a time to go through formal programs of, okay, how do you handle the press? How do you do HR? How do you handle a negotiation um, and HR conversation? So for me, that experience gave me all the administrative that the residency and the clinical had not. Okay, Dr. Zambrano, you're the perfect person to ask this. What, did, what, um, what would you say to healthcare leaders in different organizations that are considering hiring veterans? Why, why would it be a great choice? Why would it be a great investment? There, I think there are a couple of really good reasons. One, as I said, the training was top-notch. So they already come really well-trained in systems thinking for hospital or medical course specialties or physicians. They come very well-trained in quality, risk, and compliance. Um, they really understand working in teams. They're clearly driven by a mission. So you usually get significantly more out of a committed mission-driven team member. And at least for the last decade and a half, um, most are going to have been field tested um, either through deployments or the current challenging circumstances that exist with the up-tempo deployment schedule that's existed so that they bring this really unique positive perspective to the workplace that what having a bad day means to somebody who hasn't had the experience is really different to someone who has um, a slightly higher level perspective of what that really means. But I think the last part is a way of saying thanks, um, because at the end of the day, most of the men and women who have served and are not coming back to the civilian side, at some point when they onboarded, basically sat down and wrote a blank check to their fellow countrymen um, that basically said, this check is up to and including my life to defend our way of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give to someone who who is not in the military to to have that background or to, or to gain that? Well, one of the first places I would tell them to go is ACAG, hmm. um, because the fellowship, which is basically the board certification in healthcare administration, fills in a lot of those gaps. Whether it's through the senior executive program or the Thomas Dolan program I went through, um, they do a fantastic job of adding those components that smaller hospital systems may not be able to do. Um, second, the reality is once you get into the C-suite, the FACHG is the gold standard. You don't see very many of us in the C-suite without that certification. Third, the networking is unbelievable. And the reality is at this point, for the, thing, the things that I still don't know, it's always an email or phone call away from somebody who I have interacted with through ACHG. And then clearly, other mechanisms to get it is to get an MBA or an MMM or an MHA or any of the many new um, healthcare administrative advanced degrees because it's a way to very, in a very short time, learn the things that you didn't learn in medical school. How do I read a balance sheet? How do I do finance? Um, I would say those would probably be the quickest approaches. And then there's clearly other sources, such as Greeley, which does this type of education on a regular basis for physicians. 
Let's talk a little bit about your personal journey since you brought up ACHE. Obviously, I was going to bring it up here momentarily, but but you jumped in, and I I, I think our audience would love to know how did you start um, thinking about being a part of this community, and then what was that journey like for you? So, in all honesty, I actually had no idea it existed. Um, as with many things in my career, I was lucky. I was in the VA. I was at the chief of staff level at a hospital um, and the medical director I was working with came to me and said, Hey, you know what? You're really advancing. You're look like we really want to grow you. What do you know about ACAG? Um, and at that time was the second year, the Thomas Dolan program had just come out and he said, why don't you apply for this? Um, I did. And as I started applying to the program, um, Mr. Welch, who was the medical center director, walked me through what ACHE was. Um, and as he did, I began to realize, oh my God, you know what? This is exactly what I've needed. Um, because up to that point, you know, that was also early in my military career. So I hadn't had all of the, the decade of training I was going to end up getting. And I was like, this is exactly what I need for the private side. Mm. Um, got into the Thomas Dolan program and then it just went off. Um, was lucky enough to do the SCP program through that met a ton of really great people. Um, got the basic education I needed for maneuvering. And then what I always joke and, um, you know, the other big physician leadership group in the country for physician executives is AAPL and they're a fantastic group. But what I always joked was that the reason I went with ACHE, even knowing about AAPL, was that it gave me contact, direct contact with all the CEOs and COs, and over the last decade that has been invaluable. Yeah, isn't the and you mentioned networking earlier, but isn't it unbelievable the opportunities that ACHE gives regarding networking? I mean, that could that could make the entire difference in someone's career. Absolutely, because I mean, I hate to say it, my last four jobs I really haven't applied for. It's been someone who said, you know what. You, this, per, this person has an issue. I think this person would work, and they just put you in the conversation. Yep, that's the way it works. That's the way it works in life. What um, You've been great, Dr. Zambrano. I just want to wrap it up quickly. What's, what's ahead? What's ahead for you? Where, you know, you've, are you going to maybe fully transition? Uh, do you see a time where you're not going to be practicing, uh, and you're just going to be an executive leadership in that role, or you just kind of keep balancing this? No, for me, I'm, I'm going to balance um, I think the hardest thing for all physician leaders eventually is to determine their own why and where they're most comfortable. After now coming on, coming up on two decades of this, um, the benefit for me is I'm now very comfortable with the things I love and get me up in the morning are seeing patients, being part of the executive team so I can um, affect care on a much larger scale and working with systems that really work with underserved groups. Um, whether that's a dual eligible group like we do at Oak Street or veterans in the VA, um, that's my passion. So for me, it'll always be that balance. But I think for anyone listening, that's something you have to figure out for yourself. There is no right or wrong answer to that. Um, depending on what you like, depending on what your personality and temperament are like, that decision is made on a case-by-case basis, also based on what specialty you are. Um, because clearly the trauma surgeon, it's much harder for them to just jump in and jump out because they have to be taking 12, 24-hour shifts. 
little bit easier for a primary care physician where you can do urgent care. Well, doctor, I think the audience uh, benefited greatly from this conversation. Um, you know, the executive leadership skills for physicians in transition was the segment topic, and you hit on that, but so many other valuable things that I think people need to take into account. So we appreciate your time. We appreciate your candor and your insight. Dr. Zambrano, thank you so much for being a part of the Healthcare Executive Podcast. My pleasure, Chris, and really thank you for having me um, to be able to share a little bit of time and my experience with others. You got it. Thank you, doctor. And folks, we will see you next time on another edition of the Healthcare Executive Podcast. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.